So it's Acts 16, verses 1 to 10. For a sermon I've entitled, God's Guidance. Why don't you follow along as I read. Here's what it says. Now Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith, and they were increasing in numbers daily. They passed through Phrygian and Galatian regions, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to uh, uh, Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called him to preach the gospel to them. Jacob was coming to the end of his life in Egypt. Knowing this, he called for his son Joseph that he might bless Joseph's sons before he died. Like many people nearing the end, uh, Jacob began reminiscing and reflecting on his life. He talked about how God had first appeared to him in the land of Canaan, promising to give that land to his descendants. He spoke about the great heartache that he had experienced when Rachel, Joseph's mother, had died. Then referring back to the time when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, but told their dad that he'd been killed by wild animals, Jacob said this, I, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see you and your children also. Then placing his hands on Joseph's sons to bless them, Jacob said, The God whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked before, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evils, bless these lads, and may my name live on in them, in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now notice that the God who had been the shepherd all of his life, he also referred to as the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. The angel, this angel, was the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Son of God. It was Jesus who had been his shepherd all the days of his life. Jacob was actually affirming the words of the hymn that we sing, All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who for life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, ere by faith in him to dwell, for I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. You know, it's not just that Jesus is our hope in death, but he's also our guide through life. But how does he guide us? Well, first and foremost, he guides us through his word. Psalm 119, 105 says, your, lamp, or your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But God directed and leads his children through other ways as well. Through life circumstances where he opens one door and closes another. On rare occasions, even through supernatural revelation. You know, the hymn we're going to close with has the word, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need your tender care. Well, we need the Lord's leading 
in life in general, but particularly when it comes to doing ministry. Well, in this story, we have an account of how Paul, our God, used various means to guide Paul and Silas along their missionary journey, and how in so doing, he directed the course of the spread of the gospel and ultimately world history. And we want to think about how this same shepherd leads us in our life as well. So why don't we pray and get into the text. Father God, I do pray for grace and mercy. Help us. We all need your leading, and we need it to understand your word as well. So bless us as we look at it and speak to our hearts through it. For we ask now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think we can divide up this section into three parts. The first you can label a new apprentice. That's verses 1 to 3, a new apprentice. Secondly, strengthening the churches. That's 4 and 5. And finally, directed by the Spirit. And that's 6 to 10. Now keep in mind where we are in the story. Paul and Barnabas had finished an 18-month missionary journey where they had planted new churches in Cyprus and in Asia Minor, what we call uh, Turkey today. A few months after that, a big theological controversy arose over the question of whether Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. Well, the Jerusalem Council came down on the right side of that issue. No, Gentiles do not need to become Jews to be saved because people aren't saved by being Jewish. They're saved by believing in the Jewish Messiah. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's true not only for Gentiles, but even for Jews. And this is the message that Paul preached, and it was the message he was going to continue to preach, but not with Barnabas anymore. Remember, he and Barnabas got into a heated debate an argument over whether to bring John Mark with him on the next missionary journey. Paul wanted to, uh, or Paul didn't want to, but Barnabas did, but Paul refused because Barnabas had abandoned them on their last trip, so they split. So in verses 39 to 41, we're told this, Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord, and he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Well, the work has to go on, even if you can't do it with the same workers, and God was still guiding Paul along the way. And the first place we see that is in verses 1 to 3, where we see a new apprentice. Now, when Donald Trump came down the elevator in 2013 and announced that he was running for president of the United States, most people in America already knew him, because for 15 years he had hosted a program called The Apprentice. According to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, an apprentice is a person who is learning by practical experience under a skilled worker of a trade, art, or calling. Stephen, he's not here today, but he is an apprentice plumber, learning the trade from a master plumber. If he gets enough time in, he can move from that to a journeyman plumber. And if he gets enough training after that, he himself can be a master plumber. I think that's when they give him the golden plunger certificate. Well, the best learning takes place on the job while people are mentoring you, someone who already knows the skill or the trade. Well, God is going to bring a young man into Paul's life for him to mentor, one who would eventually become Paul's trusted sidekick. We're introduced to him in verses 1 to 2. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, and his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra, and Iconium. Now, Derby and Lystra were two of the cities where Paul and Barnabas had established churches during their previous journey. Lystra was particularly memorable for Paul because, you remember, that's the place where they stoned him, dragged him out of the city, and left him for dead. Of course, he was not all the way dead. He was only mostly dead. And so he got up after, and he went back into the same city. And Paul was a man of incredible boldness. 
Well, evidently, one of the individuals who got saved as a result of Paul's work in Lystra was a young man named Timothy. Notice that Paul's pain brings Timothy's gain. Why don't you also notice his family background? We're told that his mother was a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, Timothy's mom was a Christian, but his dad wasn't. And I think the commentators are right who suggest that by this time, Timothy's dad had probably died. Now, I have to tell you, there are plenty of kids who grow up in families where one of the parents is a believer and the other one is not. I mean, usually, but not always, it's a situation like Timothy's where the mom is a believer and the dad is not. Now, that Timothy's dad wasn't, didn't buy into his wife's Jewish faith is evidenced by the fact that Timothy hadn't been circumcised as a baby, which would have been a given for a Jewish boy. On the other hand, he probably wasn't overtly antagonistic towards her, his wife's faith because she was able to teach the scripture uh, to Timothy as he was growing up. Writing later to Timothy, Paul said this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know is the same faith that continues strong in you. Later on in that same letter in 2 Timothy, Paul writes to his young apprentice saying this, but evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings, meaning the scripture, which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God would be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3.17 I mean, those of you who grew up with parents who made sure you got to church, read Bibles, stories to you when they sat on their lap, and you heard them pray for you by your bedside before you went to bed at night, you're blessed. Very blessed. And even if you didn't have that godly heritage, it can begin with you and be passed on to your children and your grandchildren. And even if your spouse is not a believer, you can still raise your kids to know the Lord. Your situation may be harder, but it's not impossible as evidenced by the way Timothy turned out. And turn out well he did. For when Paul took this apprentice, we already read of him that he had made significant strides in his faith. Look at what it says in verse 2. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Now Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver or gold. I mean, you could have a good reputation for being a hard worker, skilled craftsman, a fair businessman, an honest politician, though that might be difficult. But one thing you should certainly strive to have a good reputation in is for being a faithful Christian, a godly man or a godly woman. Do you remember how the angel addressed the prophet Daniel when he came to him to visit him? He called him a man highly esteemed. Now, he wasn't speaking of his reputation on earth, but his reputation in heaven. Oh, yeah, Donny boy, all of us angels are impressed with you and how God has worked in your life. You might be despised on earth and yet still be highly esteemed in heaven. Well, the people who were impressed with this young Timothy were those other believers in the cities of Lystra and Iconium. It says Paul wanted to, this man to go with him, and so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, hold on a second here. I mean, didn't we just see a couple weeks ago at the Jerusalem Council that they come to the conclusion that Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised? And didn't Paul stand firm against the demand that Titus be circumcised when he went to visit 
down in Jerusalem? I mean, is he waffling here? A lot of people accuse Paul of being a flip-flopper on this issue. But he was quite consistent in his position. It was simply this. If the Jews want to continue to circumcise their boys when they're born, as a matter of custom, that's fine. But they need to know it doesn't do anything for them or add anything for them in their standing before God. And absolutely no Gentile should be circumcised because that would be suggesting that they need to become Jews in order to be saved. Okay, then why did Paul have Timothy circumcised before he took him along on the missionary journey? Well, it's because he had a Jewish father, so technically he was Jewish. But having a Greek father, he was never circumcised. And Paul knew that would be a hindrance for both Paul and Timothy when they were trying to reach Jews with the gospel. He said in 1 Corinthians 9, 20-22, he kind of explained his approach on this. He said, To the Jew I became like the Jews, to win Jews. To those under the law, like those who are under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, meaning the Mosaic law. So as to win those under the law. To those who do not have the law, meaning Gentiles, as one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak. To win the weak. I become all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. Hudson Taylor, great missionary to China, did something that was considered shocking in his day. When he got there, he started to dress like the Chinese. Scandalous. How below the dignity of an Englishman. He wasn't sinning by dressing like the Chinese. He became like the Chinese to reach the Chinese. We do a three-year confirmation program for our youth. Baptist churches don't do confirmation. Lutheran churches do confirmation. In their understanding, a person becomes a Christian when you're baptized. At confirmation, you're confirming that that faith is real. It's kind of like a booster shot. As Baptists, we don't baptize infants. So we don't assume the kids coming in to confirmation are Christians, that they're already believers. We know that we cannot confirm them in their personal faith. Only God can do that. But we can confirm that they have a basic understanding of the gospel and the Christian religion. Well, why do we call it confirmation then? Why don't we just call it three years of Bible study? Simple, because a lot of the people around here were raised Lutheran. And though they don't go to church anymore, they still like the idea of their kids being confirmed. They're much more open to sending their kids even to a Baptist church to be confirmed than to send them to a Baptist church just to do a Bible study. Well, if Timothy was going to become Paul's apprentice, he didn't want anything to stand in the way and be a barrier to that outreach. The second thing I want you to see in the text, though, is that they were strengthening the churches. Look at what it says in verses 4 to 5. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which they had decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith. And they were increasing in number daily. Now today, if you want to communicate with the church, you pick up a phone, call the pastor, you email or send a letter. But back then, all communication came either by word of mouth or by a letter that was delivered in person. Well, this false teaching of the Judaizers had spread to these churches, and so they needed to know the ruling of the council in Jerusalem. They needed to be disinfected, as it were, by the truth of the gospel of grace. Well, you see... It's by the proclamation of the gospel and clear teaching of the truth that believers in any church are strengthened in their faith. And of course, the hope is always that God will do for us what he did for them in increasing the numbers daily. But, just like the hardworking farmer has to wait patiently for the crops, we have to wait patiently when we preach and teach God's word for him to bring the growth. Now, you can grow a church in numbers, and people who attend, by all the wrong methods, you can give them a watered-down version of the gospel. 
Substitute entertainment for worship. Give them pep talks rather than clear biblical preaching. That might fill the seats, but it's not going to transform lives. Because Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewing of our mind comes as we learn and apply the truths of God's word to our lives. Brings us to our third point, though. Directed by the Spirit. By the way, how in the world did we ever get along before there was Google Maps? <laughs> you know, in the olden days, when I was a kid, when you went on a camping trip, the husband would drive and the wife would sit in the front seat with a giant paper map opened up trying to direct her husband. In the meantime, the kids were in the back yelling and fighting and climbing over the seats in the station wagon. In the 70s, nobody wore seat belts. <laughs> well, we need God's guidance throughout our lives, but especially when we're engaged in ministry. You know, Proverbs 16, 9 says this, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord is the one who directs his steps. One of our missionary families that we support, when they first came to our church looking for financial and prayer backing, I got into a discussion with the husband. And during the conversation, he was telling me about the country they were intending to go to, and he mentioned that he had a five-year plan. These were the goals that he hoped to achieve in the first five years, and the action steps he thought were necessary to achieve those goals. Well, I smiled when he told me that, but in my mind I was thinking, I'll bet it's not going to go according to your plan. Of course it didn't. After serving a few years in one of the African countries, their visas weren't renewed, and they had to go to a different country, learn a whole new language. And of course, that's very common in missionary stories. They intend to go one place, but the missionary ends up somewhere else they never expected. That's what happened with Paul and Silas as well. Look what it says starting in verse 6. It says, They passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. So Paul was intending to go into Asia, meaning Asia Minor, but that wasn't God's plan. And that's why he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. But why was he forbidden? I mean, and by the way, how was that communicated to him? Well, the reason that it was forbidden was not because God didn't want those people saved. It's because the timing wasn't right. He had something else Paul was to do. How did he communicate that? Perhaps through a, a prophet, or maybe it was just an unease that Paul had when he was in the area. Now, sometimes God will direct people just by a sense of something doesn't seem right here. And it may not even be a sin issue. It just may be something you're not comfortable in going forward with. I listened to an audio recording of an old woman who was on the Titanic when she was like eight years old. She related how her mother was very uneasy going on the trip, but her father assured that the Titanic was unsinkable. <laughs> she said her mother slept during the day because she stayed awake at night in fear. They were in the cabin room when the ship struck the iceberg. There was a slight bump, so the girl's father went out to see what had happened. He said his mother, her mother was just white with fear. Now, how does she know? By the way, she and the mom survived. Their dad died. Okay, if we can't go into Asia, how about we head farther north into Bithynia? But no, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. By the way, earlier the Spirit is referred to as the Holy Spirit. Here he's referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. Luke is talking about the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. So, so like a mouse in a maze being directed by researchers closing one door and opening another, Paul and Silas are being directed by the Spirit as he closes one door and then another. You know, when we were praying yesterday, Pastor Jeff and I 
You mentioned that his son-in-law, Cameron, is looking for a job. He lost his job in Florida, not because of some negligence on his part, but just because he's moving in a different direction. I think the company was. So he went back and applied to a couple of companies that he had worked for already, and they liked him there, but no response. They might have to move back to Minnesota. We don't know what God's plan is for him, but uh, he and Rachel, God may open one door and close another. You know, I worked uh, in restaurants for 18 years, and one of the companies I worked at, I transferred 12 times in those 18 years. Now, some of the times it was because I had moved or there was some place I was going to. Other times it was the company itself that transferred me. I was always disappointed when I heard that I was going to transfer or I had to transfer because I was always thinking about the people that were there that I was witnessing to, I was getting opportunities with. But then when I go to the next place, it always ended up within a short time I was witnessing to somebody there. And I started to realize God has me going to these places for a reason. Well, one of the places I went to, there, I was witnessing to a guy who was a, a, a Marine. And I was laying out the gospel with him and whatnot. I remember the guy's name was Tom Brand. And he, t he told me, he said, you know, I think maybe I'll become a Christian when I'm 50, like when my life's pretty much over and you don't have much to live for. <laughs> but as I was talking to him, there was a guy, a prep cook in the back, who evidently was listening. And that night he went home. And as he's driving home, he broke down in his car and just begged God to save him. Well, that guy was Pastor Chris. I first met Chris 45 years ago. Neither of us were Christians at the time. We ended up in that same restaurant chain at a different store, and he ended up getting saved. And of all the people that I've invested my time and energy into, Pastor Chris has been the one who's been Timothy to me. And have you not been blessed by it? We all have. Well, setbacks and difficulties that come into your life, they're not necessarily a sign that somehow God's displeased with you or that you're outside of his will, but I have to tell you, there are times when that's exactly what it means. Remember Jonah? He ran from the Lord because he didn't want to go to Nineveh and preach to them because he figured God would save him. He didn't want him saved. So he went the opposite direction. He went west, heading for Tarshish. But you know, as I read before, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Jonah's feet were pointed west, but when he stepped off that beach after he was vomited up by the great fish, his feet were pointed to Nineveh. God had ways of getting even a rebellious prophet to the city he wanted. How much more so an earnest prophet or apostle who wants to do the will of God? Now, I'm sure, though, at this point, Paul did not understand what was going on. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about, as an apostle, often being perplexed. You won't, and you can't always know what God has in store for your life, but you can be sure of this, that as the captain of your ship, the Holy Spirit knows where he's sailing to and exactly the port he wants you to depart on. Okay, so I know what I'm not supposed to do, but Paul's thinking, what am I supposed to do? Now, many places in the Bible, we're told to wait upon the Lord. Psalm 62.5 says, My soul waits silently for God. For my hope is in him. Isaiah 32, 9, or 33, 2 says this, O Lord, be gracious to us, for we have waited for you. Be our strength every morning, our salvation also in times of trouble. Isaiah 64, 4 says, For since the beginning of the world men have not heard, nor perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God beside you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know what the hardest part is about waiting for the Lord? It's waiting for the Lord. 
Carly Simon sang a song that said, Anticipation, anticipation is making me late. It's keeping me waiting. Well, I'm sure that Paul was eagerly awaiting and anticipating the direction of the Spirit of God. This time he didn't have to wait very long, because look at what it says in verse 8. It says, And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to him in the night. A man in Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. By the way, what was the last dream that you had? Was it weird? Strange? You know, I don't write or read music, but I've had a number of dreams where I'll hear this beautiful song and deep and profound lyrics. And I think, this is incredible. I'm being inspired. And then as soon as I wake up, I can't remember them. I mean, how frustrating. I could be one of the world's greatest songwriters if I could just remember my dreams, but I can't, so I guess I'll just keep being a pastor. That's funny. Come on, laugh. Thank you. You know, we, know, we don't know whether Paul was awake uh, for this vision or whether it came as a dream while he was sleeping, but he saw some man from Macedonia calling to him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Kind of like Horton hearing a who when they said, we're here, we're here, we're here. From Greenland's icy mountains, from India's coral sea, where Africa's sunny fountains rolled down their golden sands. It, from uh, many ancient rivers, from palmy, many palmy plains, they call to us to deliver their lands from error's chains. You know, St. Patrick, he was considered to be the patron saint of Ireland. The reason is because he's the one who brought the gospel to that land. It came as a result of him being kidnapped when he was a teen. He was taken to Ireland. He was there for two years. He managed to escape from his master, make it to the coast 200 miles away, and then grab a ship to go back to his home in England. Well, when he got home, he thought to himself, Ireland's behind me. I'm never looking that direction again. But then he had a dream. In his dream, he saw a man from Ireland whose name was Victoricus, who was carrying many letters, and he gave one of them to Patrick. And when he looked at the letter in his dream, it said, The Voice of the Irish. And Patrick said, as he started to read, he heard voices coming saying, We appeal to you, holy servant boy, come and walk among us. Taking that as a call from the Lord, Patrick returned to Ireland not as a slave, but as a missionary. Well, centuries before Patrick answered the call in his dream, Paul answered the call in his dream. Look what it says in verse 10. When he had seen this vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called him to preach the gospel there. Where was Macedonia? Well, it was west of where Paul was at the time. It was in Europe. The Spirit closed the doors in Asia and Bithynia because he wanted Paul and Silas to go to Europe. And what would happen as a result of that? Well, the center of Christianity would shift from the Middle East and North Africa to Europe, to England, and to the United States. And two of those countries, the United States and England, became the greatest missionary sending countries in the history of the church. You see, because of that dream in the direction of the Holy Spirit, Europe was Christianized. Western culture was born. Science and learning and medicine and on and on and on all developed in the West rather than the East. The Lord not only directed the steps of Paul, but also guided the course of world history. Now that same God who guides history to its appointed end directs your life as well. So if you trust in his son for your salvation, which he provided by his death on the cross, 
And if you trust His Spirit's guidance, relying on His direction in your ways, then whatever you face, whatever you go through, when you come to the end of your life, you're going to be able to sing all the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy who for life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, ere by faith in Him to dwell, for I know whatever befalls me, Jesus doeth all things well. Now, for some of you here, you're going through some difficult times, facing issues where you have lots of questions being raised in your mind. You may be confused and perplexed as to exactly what God is doing and how he's directing you. But you can be sure of this, if you're trusting in him, you know that God causes all things to work for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you're not a Christian yet, why don't you ask him to save you today? Let Jesus' death on the cross be the payment for your sins. You need Jesus as your shepherd to lead you in life and then afterwards to take you home from death. Whatever you face, wherever you're at, trust Jesus. He's good. He's kind. He's powerful. He's wise. He knows what's best and intends what's best for you. All he ever asks from us is to just trust him. May God give you the grace to do so. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we do need grace to trust you. We sing a song that, oh, for grace to trust him more. And it's true, Lord, that's what we need. Because everything in our life comes down to trusting you. Trusting your word, trusting your uh, uh, guidance in our life, trusting you to open up the hearts and minds of people, trusting you to grow our church, trusting you for absolutely everything. But who else is trustworthy but you? And you're good, so you're going to do good for us. We just have to wait. But Lord, we want to see answers to our prayers because as you answer them, we get to praise you all the more for it. So we pray for each one here, Lord, whatever they're struggling with and for the people listening over the internet. Now, Lord, we pray the same for them. So bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. What song are we going to sing, Dina? 61. Why don't you stand for this one?